We have been in a series in the life of Moses, and today we conclude that series. We'll go back to the beginning, and then we'll work our way to the end and the conclusion today. Moses was born into a time in which the Israelite people were enslaved in Egypt, and in fact, there was an edict that every child, every male child, would be killed at birth. Through a miraculous turn of events, not only did Moses survive that, uh, but he was in fact raised in Pharaoh's household by the, by the Pharaoh's daughter. He grew up, and at 40 years old, he fled Egypt out into the desert, where for, 40, for the next 40 years, he would be a shepherd at which time God would come to him in a burning bush and call him uh, to go and free his people from Egypt, from Pharaoh, from slavery. So God, through Moses, would perform all sorts of miracles and wonders, uh, the ten plagues, and then eventually, uh, as the Israelites leave the nation of Egypt, God will part the Red Sea and they'll pass through, and the seas will crash back in on the armies of Pharaoh, thereby destroying uh, the rest of what Egypt could do to harm the Israelite people. They travel to the mountain of God, Mount Horeb or Mount Sinai is what it's called. And at the mountain of God, Moses receives God's law, the Ten Commandments, and the many other laws, both civic and religious, that will rule the Israelite people. For about a year, they're at Mount Sinai while Moses is meeting with God. From there, they'll travel to the land that God had promised to Moses and the Israelites' forefathers. Uh, God uh, went to a man named Abraham, and he said, I will make you into a great nation. Now Israel numbers somewhere between 1.5 and 2 million people traveling through the desert. God said to this man, Abraham, and I will bless the nations through you. We'll see that in little glimpses throughout the Old Testament, but it come to fruition in Jesus, born into the Israelite nation, bringing hope and healing to all of the world. And God says to this man, Abraham, and I will give you a land, this promised land of Canaan. So now the Israelites travel from the mountain of God, having received his law, to the promised land, where eventually they will take that land and move into it. So today we conclude the uh, story of Moses, and what we want to ask today is, through what lens will we perceive, how will we understand the story that God is writing through the life of this man, Moses? Yesterday we had the pleasure of going over to a friend's house and sitting around a campfire, and that was super fun. You know, it was kind of cold yesterday, a little bit breezy, and so you sit around the campfire, and it's warm, and it's a little smoky, and you move around, but it's, it's just a time to be still, to sit, like that's what you're doing. You're sitting around the fire and talk with friends. And so I really appreciated that as, as we were warmed by the fire and ate yummy food. And it made me think after I went home to all the campfires that I'd experienced as a child. So I grew up in Africa. And so many of the women in the, in the location where I was at were charged with cooking the meals and they would cook the meals over an open fire. So like fires were just constantly going. And so we would sit, me and my friends would sit around the fire um, with these women and they would teach us, you know, how, how to chop this or how to cut this or how to mix this or what the recipes are. And while they were teaching, while they were cooking, they were laughing and they were talking and they were joking around. And at times they would cry and they would lament and they would complain as well. There was just this sense of camaraderie and community around the, the cooking fires. And what I remember most is that there were always stories. 
let me tell you what happened yesterday. (laughs) Or let me tell you, like the reminiscing, do you remember when? There were always stories being told around the campfire. And stories are so important because our experiences kind of shape who we are. They, they, our, our background shapes who we are. And so stories speak to, to our relationships, to our joys, to our struggles, to the things that have happened to us. And to be able to give voice to our stories and for our stories to be received, for them to be heard and acknowledged, is a really important and vital, healthy human experience because we are such relational beings. We love stories. And so today, we're going to explore more about stories. Yesterday, um, Alyssa, one of my daughters, uh, read to me a story by Edgar Allan Poe. And uh, it's a story of a man telling of what he had done. It's kind of a dark tale. Uh, but she'd been assigned this text and then asked the question, asked to write an essay about, is the narrator, the author of this story, credible? Is he believable? Is he to be believed? And it was a really fascinating uh, story and assignment, as in we talked through some of the proofs and why we would make what argument we would. And uh, what it reveals to us is that... As we tell our own stories, as we perceive our story and life as we live it, we're often viewing it through lenses that we don't even know exist. Let me explain just a little bit more. Sometimes, here's what I'm saying. Sometimes I am not a credible narrator of what's happening in my life. Sometimes I am confused, mistaken about what is transpiring in my own story. And we're going to see that in the the life of Moses in a minute. Last time you were at the eye doctor, did he put you in this strange alien-looking contraption and then start flipping through different lenses? Do you know what that thing's called? It's called a foropter. It's called a foropter. And what it does is it flips through different lenses to see how your eye is going to most clearly see what you're looking at, and it helps him uh, write prescriptions for you. In the same way, uh, it can be our um, some of just our personal characteristics and traits. It can be experiences through our childhood. Each of these has flipped lenses in front of our eyes, and we are perceiving the world through all sorts of different experiences, psychological uh, things that have happened in our past. So the question we're going to ask today is, who is at the center of our story? Who's at the center of the story? Is it ourselves or is it God? Who should be at the center of the story that we both perceive about our lives and tell to other people? Is it ourselves or is it God? So today we're going to do something a little bit different. It's going to look a little bit different. But we want to tell the story of Moses. Since we've spent the last few months looking through the story of Moses, we want to give two retellings of the story of Moses. So we're going to tell the same story with the same facts through two different perspectives. One one, um, will be the perspective of Moses being at the center of Moses' story. And the other perspective will be God being at the center of Moses' story. And so uh, Micah's going to take Moses at the center, and I'll take God at the center. And uh, we're going to go back and forth. And we're going to retell this story. And your job as, as listeners is to, is to listen for how the story is different when told from these two different 
perspectives with Moses at the center and with God at the center. Okay, so I didn't bring a costume to look like Moses. Why don't you introduce yourself then? Hi, I'm Moses. Hi, I'm Moses too. Okay, so, but as we get into character, let's go ahead and move over and uh, change the scene just a little bit. Okay. Imagine with us, we're Moses. (laughs) We. I was born into rough circumstances. An Israelite slave in Egypt ordered to be executed at birth. I was born in rough circumstances. An Israelite slave in Egypt ordered to be executed at birth. The Israelite midwives defied Pharaoh's order and risked their lives to save me. Because they feared God, the Israelite midwives defied Pharaoh's order and risked their lives to save me. Their trust in and obedience to God enabled them to shrewdly outwit Pharaoh, who was considered one of the gods of Egypt. The Pharaoh's daughter found me and decided to raise me as her son. I grew up in Pharaoh's household. Unbeknownst to us, God was working out a plan to rescue the Israelites from slavery. This began with my miraculous and unlikely rescue by the Pharaoh's daughter. She raised me as royalty under Pharaoh's very nose. And I was educated and understood the systems of government and power in Egypt. As an adult, I saw the injustice of slavery and had to do something. I killed an Egyptian slave driver and fled into the desert. As an adult, I saw the injustice of slavery and took matters into my own hands. I killed an Egyptian slave driver and fled into the desert. Even in this, God continued to work out a plan to rescue his people. I spent 40 years in the desert of Midian as a shepherd. God shaped me and formed me in the desert. I didn't know it then, but my 40 years in the desert as a shepherd were preparing me to lead the Israelites for 40 years through the wilderness. I was chosen by God to lead my people out of slavery in Egypt. God called me to play a part in God's rescue of Israel. I was so hesitant and so scared It took a miraculous burning bush, a staff turned into a snake, the healing of a leprous limb, and my brother as a partner before I agreed to obey and follow God's plan. God used me to work mighty miracles to bring the Israelites out of Egypt. I went to Egypt and followed God's step-by-step instructions to confront Pharaoh. It was terrifying. And things got worse for my people before they got better. However, God faithfully demonstrated his power over all the gods of Egypt through mighty signs and wonders. After months of plagues, the Israelites left Egypt. When the Egyptian army followed and trapped us against the Red Sea, I raised my staff and held out my hand to divide the waters so the Israelites could escape. When the, Isra- when the Egyptian army followed and trapped us against the Red Sea, God held them at bay and parted the waters for us to cross on dry land. 
I led the Israelites to Mount Horeb, where I received the law of God. In a pillar of fire and cloud, God led us to Mount Horeb and reinstated his covenant with Israel. God reminded us of our identity as his chosen people through whom he would bless all the nations of the world. I was the mediator and liaison between God and the Israelites as they wandered in the desert. God graciously spoke to Israel through me. I relayed God's messages and instructions to the Israelites as together we followed his leading day by day. Over and over, the Israelites got scared and doubted God's faithfulness, but God used me to provide for them. Over and over, the Israelites got scared and doubted God's faithfulness. I, too, didn't always trust and obey God's instructions. But regardless of how we broke our side of the covenant, God remained faithful. He provided miraculously. He provided water and food for around 2 million people in the desert for 40 years. At the end of my life, I put Joshua in charge and urged the people to keep covenant with God. At the end of my life, I encouraged and stood behind Joshua as he listened to and obeyed God's instructions for his life. I used my influence I used the influence I had to urge my people to choose the abundant life found in God. I died and God buried me. Being the faithful God and gracious friend that God is, God took me to the mountaintop to see the promised land before I died. As promised, God never left me. What do you notice about the two tellings of the story there? They're distinctive. Both of them truthful, right? Uh, neither of them was, was untrue of what had happened. And yet, the subjects of the story were quite different. Either Moses at the center of all of it, I did these things, or God enabled me to do these things, always telling a story about what God, or what I was doing, and often acknowledging that God was involved. But at the center of the story was a man named Moses, Whereas in Sarah's telling of the story, what would you notice about it? For one, it's a lot longer when you include God in the telling of a There's story, a apparently. a lot more rich detail, right? Like depth to the story. <laughs> I didn't notice that until this morning. There's a lot more to tell when God is at the center of your story, and that's good because you're telling incredible things about a God who is working remarkable uh, things in our lives. Here's, um, here's my theory. Here's, here's what we're thinking today. In most cases, we perceive ourselves at the center of our stories. And maybe that's not all wrong because it is our story after all, right? But what's fascinating is to consider that maybe our story is wrapped up in a much larger and more important story, and that is the story of God. Quite often when we go to Scripture, we find ourselves in an individual story or we find ourselves in an individual verse and trying to figure out all the theology around this one statement made in Scripture. How rich and beautiful is it when we learn to zoom out and understand the story that is Scripture, the narrative that is God's work in this world to bring about healing and redemption, and then to realize each of those individual texts and stories in this larger context of the story that is Scripture. 
In the same way, in our lives, we want to propose how much richer to perceive the things happening in my life as a small part of a larger story that God is continuing to write in this world. I think quite often we perceive ourselves at the center of the story, and I don't think this is surprising. Psychologically, physiologically, we are wired for self-preservation. So how much more so would our thought processes about our lives and the stories we tell ourselves or others about what's happening revolve around us? And yet there's another story being written, bigger, more beautiful than any individual aspect of our story or even our story in its entirety, from beginning of life to end, there is a much larger and beautiful story being written by God that we play a small part in. So what if we learn to perceive our stories and tell our stories with God at the center? I loved your your point too, it's still our story. And, and I want to make that clear that this doesn't at all diminish our part in our stories, that our stories, our lived experiences are still ours, and we get to tell them from our perspective. And yet, as we perceive God's movements, it, it broadens our story. It adds richness and depth to our stories because we're, our stories are part of a larger story, a part of something bigger. Um, I, I heard a fable or a parable recently, and I think it's from India. It's, it's somewhere in Asia, but there's this, this commonly told, um, fable of six blind men and they encounter an elephant and they each want to, you know, have never seen an elephant and they want to know what an elephant is. And so they each go to the elephant and put their hands on the elephant to, to see the elephant, so to speak. And then they each retell or, or describe what the elephant is like. And then the, the man who put his hands on the tummy of the elephant describes the elephant as large and flat. And the man who held on to the trunk of the elephant describes the elephant as like a rope-like animal. And, and the man who touched the ears of the elephant is thin and inflexible. And so you get the idea. Each person told, had a different description of what an elephant was. And none of them were wrong. And yet also none of them were right because they didn't have the full picture. In the same way, if we perceive our stories through only through our personal experiences, we're, we miss out on the bigger picture of our stories. And so we want to invite us today to perceive and to tell our stories through the movements of God in our lives. And so to look for where has God worked? Where has God led where has God opened doors and ask in the present, where might God be working right now in my relationships, in my home, in my community to, to tune our, our minds, to ask that question and to see God more clearly? And I think we fight against so much of our nature to accomplish this. Even in the life of Moses, you'll remember weeks ago, uh, stories of Moses providing water for the Israelite people. And God had told him, speak to a rock, and instead in anger, he, he hollers out at the people, why must I give you water again? And he strikes the rock, remember? It's so easy to perceive ourselves at the center of these stories. What if our stories were not only perceived differently in our lives, 
but we're told by others. There's, there's one other element in the text that I wanted to touch on today, uh, or in the story of Moses. Uh, it is that Moses doesn't spend a lot of time telling his own story, but Israel would carry on his tale. And there's a reason. Because for the most part, Moses was a man who was so deeply committed to God, lived out such a servant, uh, the life of a servant for his, the sake of his people, for the sake of God, for the sake of his kingdom, that people chose to tell Moses' story. And people telling Moses' story recognized God at the center of everything happening in his life. So the challenges today are twofold. First, to perceive ourselves at the center, or perceive God at the center of our story, as opposed to ourselves. Uh, But secondly, um, to learn to live into a story bigger than ourselves. A story truly worth telling. A story that people will pick up on and see God is doing remarkable things because that is far bigger than Micah or Sarah or any one of us. The story that I see in the lives of these individuals are far greater than themselves and God becomes apparent to the world around us. And what an honor for us to get to be a part of that, to be a part of God's story. So what we want to invite us today is to Um, consider how God the creator is both the source and the sustainer of all life. And so because of that, we are invited to orient our lives, our lived experiences, our day-to-day rhythms around what God is doing and to both perceive and to tell our stories with God at the very center. A number of weeks ago, we talked about spiritual practices, spiritual disciplines that invite us into the presence of God. And I, I had to rush through those. Those were intriguing to some of us. We'll probably do some small groups that revolve around some of those practices. But there's one practice that was mentioned a few weeks ago. It's called the examine. And today we're going to go a little bit deeper on that. Because the purpose of examine is that we would recognize God in the, uh, in the day-to-day experiences, moments of our lives. So today we're going to spend a few minutes um, looking at examine. Because the big question is, we can all conceptually realize, okay, so God should be more at the center of my story. But how's that going to become a rhythm in life for us? Well, today we're going to propose one practice, one way of recognizing God at the center of our story. So I'm going to step off. Sarah's going to lead us through examine for the next few minutes, and then we'll close out. Yeah, it's funny. In church, sometimes we spend more time talking about something than actually practicing something. Have you ever, have you ever noticed that? We talk about prayer instead of actually practicing prayer together. And so um, today what, what I'd like to do is just to give a little bit of an intro and then to spend about seven minutes together. And I invite you to practice this examine prayer with me. And um, it, it might be new to you. It might not. Don't worry. It's going to be great. <laughs> so the examine practice is going to help us open our eyes to what God is doing in our lives around us. It was first developed by St. Ignatius, and he was the founder of the Jesuit order. Um, and this practice trains us to recognize the presence of God by, by pr- we prayerfully invite God to review our day with us and to show us we, we ask the Holy Spirit, show me, show us where you are moving. 
and where we were um, experiencing your presence and experiencing your leading and where we weren't, where we just weren't uh, paying attention to that or our minds were elsewhere. So think of this as a prayerful reflection. So it's, it's prayerful in that it's with God. We're doing this, we're, we're, we're opening ourselves up to the Holy Spirit's leading in prayer. And also, it's, it's growing our self-awareness and reflecting on the past day. And so I invite you to participate with me. Um, it's going to take about seven to eight minutes. And just FYI, there's going to be some moments of silence in the seven to eight minutes. And for some of us that can be a little bit awkward, a little bit uncomfortable, I just, I just want to ask you to break, embrace it. Lean into the silence. There's no, there's no expectation there for, for there not to be silence. And uh, I want to practice it together here, even though this wouldn't be like the normal setting, and then encourage you to, to try it out at home on your own. So as we prepare to get started, go ahead and just get comfortable. You know, if I'm at home doing the exam and sometimes I'm laying on the floor or I'm sitting in my comfy chair, right now stretch if you need to. Get comfortable. Take a deep breath with me. If you want to leave your eyes open, you can. If you want to close your eyes, you can. If you want to have your hands open, that's often a gesture, a physical gesture, saying to the Holy Spirit, hey, I'm open. I'm I'm listening. I'm paying attention. I invite you to say a prayer in your, in your mind, in your heart, asking the Holy Spirit to lead you in this. Holy Spirit, we invite you to lead us as a community. We are mindful of your presence right now in us and around us, between us. We ask for the grace to pray and to perceive and to understand. We invite you to guide us through our days. And Lord, we, we are listening. Take a few minutes to give thanks, to reflect on who God is, God of love and redemption, mercy and grace, presence and faithfulness, and thank God for God's presence with you. Psalm 136, verse 1 says, Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His love endures forever. I invite you just to repeat the last line to yourself, to God. Pray it to God. God, your love endures forever. Your love endures forever.
from this place of gratitude and thanksgiving, recognition of who God is, a good and loving God, invite us to review the last 24 hours. So, so yesterday, all yesterday and this morning, think of it as a mental scan or a little, little trailer, a little video of your life for the past 24 hours. And just share the important moments with God. Go through from starting from yesterday morning. What were the important moments? And share them with God. Think about what's happened over the last day. When those things happen, how did you react? How did you respond? How did you engage? Think about your emotions. How did you feel? Maybe there's one specific instance that the Spirit is bringing to mind, or maybe there's several. Those important moments. What were your emotions? How did you feel in that moment? Now look for God in those experiences. Where might God have been working? Was there a time that you sensed God's presence or his guidance or his nearness? When in the day did you sense God's presence? Was there a time you felt far from God? Share that with God. Now let's celebrate the wins. <laughs> Think back on the things that were really good. Maybe you experienced God's love or you were able to demonstrate God's love or, or something happened and it was a win. Celebrate that with God. Invite us to think now about a time 
where our actions or our attitudes do not reflect Jesus, where we fell short. Confess that to God. Now ask for forgiveness. Forgiveness through Jesus. Scripture teaches that we can be confident of God's forgiveness when we confess. So now take a moment, maybe with your hands open, and receive God's forgiveness. Breathe it in. And from this place of being forgiven, ask the Holy Spirit to continue to form you into the likeness of Jesus. And now we look ahead to the coming day, to the coming week. And let's ask God to help us perceive and experience his presence. If there's something that you need for the coming day or for the coming week, ask God for it. God, I really need this. And as we close out, thank God for being with you. Thank the Holy Spirit for being our constant companion in the presence of God with us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen. Thank you for praying with us. Thank you. Uh, thank you for praying together. This, as Sarah mentioned, this is not the setting in which examine would normally be done. But whether, what, what other opportunity do we have to introduce people to such rich and beautiful invitations to experience the presence of God? So thank you for praying with us. 
And the examine can be prayed different ways. This was this was um, my version that I adapted from the Sacred Rhythms book by Ruth Haley Barton, and I wrote out the the steps, and they're on a paper in the back there. There's a stack of them, so you're welcome to take that page at the back table and practice this at home by yourself or with with your family. So as we close today, may we be a people who recognize that our stories are woven into a much larger and more beautiful story of a God who loves and is bringing healing. Friends, thank you for joining us today.